Hello, and welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to tune in. I've got my window open today. Hopefully, we won't pick up too much ambient racket, but it's such a beautiful day outside that I wanted to leave the window open. Um, we are answering a few questions today, a little bit different format than we normally use, but I hope you'll enjoy it. I know I have fun with questions. These are fairly controversial questions, at least a couple of them are, but we'll see how we go with them. Questions are often controversial. Um, we are talking about Halloween, aliens, and alcohol. Sounds like quite a party, doesn't it? But we'll see how we go. The first question is this. It says, as God created all living species, if aliens and creatures of other planets exist, did he create them too? Um, when you go to answer these different questions, I find that I can answer them very directly um, which I will do, but also there's other questions that are often closely related that surround a question. There's um, more digging in that can certainly be done, so we'll do some of that too. But to answer the question directly, if they exist, yes, God created them because he did create the universe. And that's the very simple answer, of course. Um, to expand on a little bit, does the Bible speak to aliens? No, I don't think it does. Um, sometimes I've heard some people try to take that one way or the other in regards to what the Bible does or does not talk about in regards to aliens. Um, but when people do try to do that, I think they end up trying to pound a square peg into a round hole, and it just doesn't jive very well. Um, my thoughts on aliens as a pastor, you know, I like sci-fi movies and things like that. I enjoy that kind of stuff, but it's really not something to invest a lot of thought into. I don't think it's something that we need to worry about or think a lot about. But to answer the question, if they exist, did God create them? Yes, he did, uh, if they did exist. But let's move on to our next question. These probably get maybe a little more controversial as we go. And the next question is, should Christians not celebrate Halloween? Um, again, people have strong feelings about this one both ways. To answer the question directly, Ultimately, that decision is up to you, like so many other things. Um, some Christians say you shouldn't. It's something that has been very controversial among Christians for a long time. I've seen this idea come up that if you take your kids trick-or-treating, you are participating in something pagan. And don't get me wrong. If you feel convicted about um, those things and feel you should avoid them, by all means, do so. And there are obviously some things that are associated with Halloween that are pretty gross and we really don't want much to do with. But at the same time, not everyone who celebrates Christmas, for instance, is a Christian. Not everyone who celebrates Halloween is a pagan. And we need to be careful to avoid guilt by association. Eastern Christmas didn't start out as Christian holidays. Both of those have been commandeered by Christians, and one time they were both pagan holidays. Um, 
there are so many things that become what you make them. Um, a few things around this question. When it comes to Halloween, Christians handle it in different ways. Some open their doors wide and welcome trick-or-treaters, and others do the opposite. They just shut themselves off from it. Uh, some entire churches do something for Halloween. Uh, some don't. I've seen the whole gamut from everything to nothing. I've seen people, you know, churches completely avoid it to uh, a church uh, opening up its its hall and turning it into a haunted house. So lots of different feelings about it. The reality is, is that like many other things, how people feel about Halloween has a lot more to do with culture than it does with what the Bible says. In my home culture um, in the U.S., for the most part, Halloween is fine. Most people take part in it and take their kids trick-or-treating, all that stuff. Um, here in Australia, where I am now, it's a lot less popular. Uh, people tend not to like it, but again, that has far more to do with cultural reasons than spiritual ones. And when you look up the word hallow in the dictionary, it means to honor as holy. All Saints Day is a Catholic holiday that is on November 1st. All Hallows Eve or Halloween was an opportunity to uh, think about the small separation between flesh and blood and spiritual things, life and death even. Like I say, it's a Catholic holiday, so I don't really have much to do with it. But my thoughts on Halloween as a pastor, there is a lot of gross stuff that comes along with Halloween that I don't have much to do with. Some people say that's demonic. Um, I think it has a lot more to do with stuff that people have made up in their head that would be similar to a lot of Christmas decorations. They're just things that people have made up over time. Um, demons are actually fallen angels. Angels are beautiful. Temptation is usually something very appealing. A lot of that gross stuff that comes along with Halloween is not appealing. And uh, I think it's a product of people's imagination more than it is something demonic. So I don't really make that same correlation. That's just me. You may disagree with that. Um, you can use Halloween as an opportunity to connect with your neighbors if you want to. Take your kids trick-or-treating, have a party, whatever. It's up to you. I'll support you either way. The Bible doesn't support, though, however, anyone imposing views on others in regards to things that it does not speak specifically to. Um, this is just kind of a random thought as well, but one way a Christian might consider taking advantage of Halloween is thinking on things you might be afraid of. General areas in our lives where we have a lot of fear are areas where our trust in God is weak. Uh, that could be financial. It may not necessarily be something that is, um, well, like horror movie type scary, but just things we're afraid of. Um, yeah, we're afraid we're not going to have enough money. We're afraid of what's going to happen next year. It's a good time to maybe concentrate and meditate on things we're afraid of because those are could very well be areas in our lives where our trust in God is weak. Um, now, 
I, I wrapped up the last question with aliens, and uh, I'm going to wrap this one up in a similar way. For the most part, y- Halloween's one day a year, and it's just not worth investing a lot of effort and time. If you want to celebrate it, do so. If you don't, don't. So that's to answer, should a Christian or should not a Christian celebrate Halloween? Ultimately, that's up to you. Next one. Now, this one this one is definitely more kind of a day-to-day, more controversial type thing. Do Christians need to totally abstain from alcohol or is an occasional glass okay? Alcohol is one of those topics that I speak to as often as it comes up in Scripture, which isn't that often if you're actually not making a hobby horse out of it and you, you know, speak about things in direct proportion to how much Scripture speaks about them as a pastor. So I don't talk a lot about it. Now, I talk about it when it comes up, but today here somebody's asked a question and it's come up, so let's talk about it. Alcohol as I said, is a very divisive topic. Um, It's also one that is surrounded by a lot of hypocrisy. And here's my theory on why that is. Um, And that's because it's a complicated topic that people try to oversimplify. Complicated topics require a lot of thought and study instead of going with what we think, uh, what we've heard, or how we feel. And a lot of what people think about alcohol is, again, it's far more cultural than it is biblical. And culture is a very powerful thing. And the reality is that for most of us, what we think about a lot of things, including alcohol, is based on culture um, or what someone we respected has told us and not necessarily the Bible. When it comes to divisive topics, we also tend to place ourselves in an echo chamber and surround ourselves with confirmation bias. And what that means is we just surround ourselves with people who agree with us. And that happens in churches a lot. Um, To give you an idea where I'm coming from on this topic, a little bit about my history. I grew up in a household of teetotalers. Nobody in my family drank, at least not that I knew about. Um, I did find out, you know, about some relatives that drank when I was older, but I had no idea when I was a kid. Um, They tended to hide it, but they had problems with it as well. But later I worked in sales for uh, a large alcohol distributor for several years. And as a salesman, I was well-versed in the products. I had to know about them. Um, My knowledge about alcohol is fairly extensive, I would say. I mean, I'm knowledgeable. I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but I'm pretty knowledgeable. I was working for this company as a salesman when um, I first started to attend church. And when I tell people about being involved with both of these things at the same time, you know, working for an alcohol distributor and attending church, I usually get some strange looks and a few laughs. Um, ironically, the same thing happened when I, where I worked when I told people I was attending church, got some strange looks and a few laughs. But at the time, I knew a lot about alcohol, but not very much about the Bible. That forced me to really dig into what the Bible actually says about alcohol. Over the years, I have looked at this topic 
ad nauseum. I read about it, looked into it, um, spent a lot of time with it. And I only say that to say I am not speaking from a position of ignorance on either side of this issue. Um, I know a lot about the Bible, and I know a fair bit about alcohol, too. So we're going to go ahead and follow this thought. I'm going to do my best to give you frank and biblical answers about what the Bible actually says about alcohol. There's probably someone out there who's getting excited about this. Don't get too excited. You may or may not like what I have to say. Actually, this probably isn't going to make anybody happy. Um, I'm not being, I'm not beyond being wrong, but I'm not ignorant either. And I don't think this is a topic worth drawing a line in the sand over at all. I care more about people than I do about being right. So we can disagree and that's okay. I can happily attend church with people who are on either side of this issue. I'm not going to love you any less if we don't agree. Neither am I going to love you any more if we do agree. Definitely not a let's start picking teams issue. I'm a believer that good fences make good neighbors and there are some issues uh, that I would build a fence over, but this definitely isn't one of them. And I want to be kind to people who might disagree with me. And we all want to do that. We also want to avoid the echo chamber of confirmation bias, which happens when we only surround ourselves with people who agree with us. Well, there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding among Christians, regardless of what they believe about alcohol. And just like there's a lot of misunderstanding and misinformation uh, among non-Christians about Christians. This is one of those questions that... I see as it it seems to renew itself with every new generation of Christians. And I don't believe Christianity will ever come to a consensus on this, at least not this side of eternity. I think that complete abstinence from alcohol came from the prohibition movement in the U.S. And it's still a very strong part of American Christian culture. In Australia never had a very strong prohibition movement, and it's alcohol is far less of a concern among uh, Australian Christian culture than it is American Christian culture. Um, I, at one time, I was invited to a cocktail party specifically for pastors. Um, I, I didn't go to it, but it, it's just funny that I was invited. But well, there there was one exception, though. I said you know, Australia didn't have prohibition. There was one exception to that. From 1911 until 1928, um, the federal capital territory, which we know now as the Australian Capital ter- Territory or the ACT, um, had banned new liquor licenses. Uh, they didn't issue any new ones from 1911 to 1928. So, yeah, I mean, but that's a very small part of history. So let's ask a couple of questions. The first one is, can you make a case for abstinence in regards to alcohol outside of the Bible? Okay. Is there a case to be made for abstinence from alcohol? um, If you take the Bible out of the equation? Yes. I think you actually, you can make a rational argument to abstain from alcohol. Each year, almost 6,000 Australians die in alcohol related death. 30% of car fatalities are alcohol-related. 
And I don't know the stats, but I have no doubt that alcohol plays a role in domestic abuse. I mean, that really goes without saying, but I don't even know if you could find stats for that. Um, Many Australians drink alcohol in amounts that are harmful to their health. Alcohol can lead to depression and anxiety, um, which are a, a pandemic right now. There are negative short and long-term effects that can come from alcohol consumption. But at the same time, we also need to be honest about those negative effects um, and say and make clear that they're very dependent on how much alcohol is actually consumed. Um, alcohol can cause trouble in your stomach and liver and bowels. It affects men's testosterone levels, which for men is tremendously important. Um, all of that is important. And some people may say, okay, well, you know, that's enough for me to leave it alone. Um, regardless of what the Bible says, that's, you know, that's enough. I don't really want anything to do with that. And if that's someone's decision, <coughs> excuse me, we should respect that decision. One thing we can know for sure is that the Bible definitely doesn't require anyone to drink alcohol. Um, I know one story in particular about a family who was attending a church and they were uh, going to a Bible study who enjoyed having drinks while they were doing their Bible study. And they were given a bad time because they didn't drink, which I thought was bizarre. Um, I did a wedding ceremony one time for a, for a wonderful couple. And they were kind enough to invite myself and my wife to the reception. In, in Australia, it's very unusual for a wedding reception not to have, a, have an open bar. Uh, and the bride grew up with parents who drank too much and were eventually divorced. And this lovely bride said no alcohol at her wedding reception. Um, so she asked that people didn't drink at her wedding reception. And that's something that should be respected. <coughs> and most people were fine with it. But the father of the bride showed up to the reception drunk. And needless to say, she was unhappy. She showed a lot of grace and dignity. She handled it well. She was a very graceful bride. But her, her wishes should have been respected. And that's the way we should treat people. We should respect their wishes. And the Bible speaks very clearly. <coughs> uh, yeah, I got to get a cough right in the middle of when I'm trying to do a podcast. So yeah, we'll get through this. So bear with me. But the Bible speaks very clearly about drunkenness. First uh, Timothy talks about a pastor should not be given to drunkenness. But even that, what does drunkenness mean? Well, it means addicted to alcohol or someone who is a heavy drinker, someone who habitually drinks too much. The Bible speaks clearly and in a multitude of places about that. It also speaks to gluttony. And I think drunkenness um, is viewed well as a subpoint of gluttony. You know, too much, too often of anything is bad for you. Not only is it bad for you, it's sinful. And gluttony itself is something that is habitual greed or excess. If anything is in control of you, instead of you being in control of it, it becomes excess. Whether it's a little kid who can't put down an iPad or an adult who can't put down a bottle, either one is greed and excess. God does tell 
us tells, well, tells you and me not to be a glutton. Um, but he doesn't tell us that. So he can just tell us what to do and then punish us when we mess up. No, God says, don't be a glutton because it's bad for you. It's not healthy. There's a reason behind uh, why God says the things he does. And because God says, don't overconsume, when you do, not only is it unhealthy, you make whatever you are consuming more important than what God says. And that just compounds problems. Internet, <coughs> internet, social media, food, alcohol, video games, recreation, work, shopping, coffee. Uh, there are a lot of things that we can abuse. And after Paul says that a pastor shouldn't be someone who is a drunk, a little later in 1 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, and this is in chapter 5, uh, verse 23 of 1 Timothy. He says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent illnesses. And I think from that verse, we can learn that alcohol, for medicinal reasons, is okay. You know, we've all heard someone say that in a movie. Um, like in cowboy movies, a, a cowboy pulls a bottle of whiskey out of his saddlebag and says, Oh, it's for medicinal purposes. Well, that's this is probably where that came from. Um, a lot of medicines use alcohol as a carrier, and I think that would give us a green light to include some things like mouthwash and cooking with alcohol and all of those kinds of things being okay. I've heard a lot of Christians say that Paul was talking about grape juice and not alcoholic wine when he said that. And many Christians say um that when the Bible talks about wine, when it says wine, it's talking about grape juice. And this is where knowledge about production of alcohol comes into play. And, well, knowledge about the Bible, too. Yeast is something used in fermentation to make alcohol. And I've heard it said multiple times by Christians, even from pastors and pulpits, that there was no yeast added to this grape juice in the Bible, so it didn't have any alcohol in it. Well. That's true, but it's not true. Um, they didn't necessarily add yeast, but there is naturally occurring yeast on grapes. There's enough wild yeast floating around in your house that if you leave some grape juice sitting on the counter, it will ferment. Actually, that's one of the challenges of, of uh, fermentation and producing a consistent product is keeping the wild yeast out. I was uh, making some homemade ginger beer um, ginger beer is a very popular drink in Australia. You can get it in alcoholic and non-alcoholic versions. And the non-alcoholic stuff is very popular. It's actually quite good. And the ginger beer I made was, it was intended to be non-alcoholic, but it fermented because of the wild yeast in the air. And you could peel paint with that stuff. It was very strong. And it, it was, yeah, it was definitely very alcoholic. Um, fermentation requires two things. Yeast and sugar. It's it's pretty simple. You can ferment grains, potatoes, grapes, and anything that has glucose in it. Matter of fact, the word glucose is actually a transliteration of a Greek word that means sweet wine. What happens during fermentation is the yeast consumes glucose, and the byproduct of that is alcohol and CO2. So you think about that. The uh, yeast consumes 
glucose and then produces alcohol and CO2. Interesting thought. Um, so for something to be fizzy or stay fizzy, it has to be sealed tight enough to keep that CO2 in. And that's why Jesus uses the example of putting new wine and old wineskins in one of his parables. If you put new wine in an old wineskin, it's going to burst because the old one is already stretched out. And the reason it will burst is because of the CO2 in the fermentation process. Now, in modern fermentation, sometimes producers add CO2 and specific strains of yeast to produce a consistent product. Uh, some winemakers don't do that. From what I understand, they ferment with the naturally occurring yeast. Um, but thats I think that's pretty rare these days. The outcome depends on the yeast and the sugar content of the grapes. So it's, it's not very consistent to allow wild yeast to just do its job. But the fact remains that the same thing happens either way. Um, under the right conditions, it doesn't take long for something to ferment, just, just over a week usually. But once it's fermented, uh, it can be stored long-term. Some things longer than others. You know, how it's stored matters. Um, but the reality of all this is that during Bible times, you would only have what we would know as grape juice for a relatively short time. And the rest of the year, you would have fermented wine. Now, back to our question. Can you make a case for abstinence from alcohol? You sure can. Should uh, someone who decides to practice abstinence from alcohol be respected? Yes, they should. Can alcohol be a problem? Yes, it can. Is drunkenness a sin? Yes, drunkenness is a sin. So is every other kind of gluttony. <clears throat> but the real question that we are getting at that people want to know that is so controversial is this one. Is abstinence from alcohol a biblical command from God? No, it is not. Do Christians need to totally abstain from alcohol or is an occasional glass okay to answer that question? No, Christians are not biblically required to totally abstain from alcohol. At the same time, for someone who doesn't agree with that, I'm not here to you know rub that in your face. In fact, um, whatever you choose, I will support your biblical liberty to make that choice. And the Bible speaks clearly about imposing things on people that the Bible does not. And we're not supposed to do that. That was the big problem Jesus had with the Pharisees, was putting burdens on people that weren't supposed to be placed on them. And there, there are two sides to this coin. I mean, there's the, the anti-alcohol, you know, total abstinence crowd, which that's fine if you want to do that. You just can't make a biblical case for complete abstinence. Um, but the other side of this coin also exists. I've seen some immature Christians, you know, posting pictures of themselves in the pub with a beer, knowing full well it was going to offend other believers. Okay, that's also wrong. And the Bible speaks to that as well. <clears throat> now, here's something we all need to consider carefully. We need to put this in perspective. Alcohol is like the internet or an iPad or food or a car or even your physical body. It is amoral. It's neither good or bad until you apply your free will to it. How you apply your free will to those things 
determines what they become. Um, those things in their own right, are they're an object. They're not sinful. Um, they're not righteous either. But how you use them can be. And what that does is when you start to view things like that, is that puts a lot of responsibility on you as an individual. It puts a lot of responsibility on me as an individual. Uh, it's my responsibility to share the truth with you as best I can. Now it's up to you what you do with it. Understanding things like this as being amoral puts the responsibility on you as an individual. And that means you're going to have to exercise good judgment. Uh, what you do when no one else is around or you know no one else will find out still matters. Um, like I said, that alcohol is uh, often surrounded with a lot of hypocrisy. We used to have a joke when I was younger that when you go fishing, you take two Mormons because if you only take one, he will drink all your beer. Or there's the other joke that Baptists don't speak to each other at the liquor store. Um, the fact is, is that we all have things in our life that we do that we don't want anyone else knowing about. Um, but Jesus knows. That's that's the key. That's that's why he went to the cross because without him, it it doesn't matter what is sinful and what isn't, and you know all these different rules and things. Without Jesus, without the gospel, the yeses and nos and arguments about alcohol and iPads and food, they don't mean anything. Without him, we're all completely lost. We're destroyed by our own sin, destined for an eternity where Jesus is not our Savior, but God is our eternal judge. And we need to remember that without God's grace and mercy in the gospel, None of the rest of this matters anyway. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't need to be worried about anything but that. Well, I think we'll stop there. Um, I hope that you have found this helpful. Um, if you don't agree, but I don't dislike you. It's perfectly all right. Um I'll tell you what, why don't we sum it up? Here's a great verse to sum this up with. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Again, thanks for turning in. I appreciate you taking the time to listen, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon.